This episode contains spoilers. Please listen responsibly. Hello everyone, my name is Jason Ramirez, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 8 of the Hit List Podcast. It's the Season 2 finale, okay? I want to say thank you to everyone who has been listening across these two seasons. I really appreciate it. This podcast helps me get creative and learn more about films and filmmaking. It's also been a source of social interaction for me, given that I haven't done anything remotely social for more than a year now. So thank you again for letting me do this. I am joined today by a returning guest. She's a software engineer at Amazon. It's Rachel Walter. Hello, Rachel. Thank you so much for coming back and bearing with me again. Oh, Jason, thanks for having me. I feel extra special because I realized I was also last season's season finale. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, am I just this number one celebrity of this podcast? Like, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that uh, it was coincidental that you were last season's season finale because I had other people plan to be on the show. But I didn't want to rush it, so um, mm-hmm. you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take any bone I can get, Jason. <laughs> so it's cool. I'm super excited to get to talk more about movies and pretend like I know anything about film, you know, compared to you. So, <laughs> oh, actually, my last guest, her name's um, Tabitha. I think I've I've mentioned her to you. She doesn't watch movies at all, so you might know more about movies than she does. So, ooh, baby, okay, <laughs> so watch out, film degrees. <laughs> last time we spoke for this podcast was we recorded last summer. Have you changed your viewing habits since then? Ooh, my viewing habits. So actually, I forget if I mentioned this in our last podcast. I used to be more of a movie person and less of a TV person. But then, like, kind of in between last summer and now, I ended up moving away from home, like, in with a roommate. And now, after work, like, me and my roommate are always just, like, tired. Kind of, like, we just want to eat dinner and chill. So then we've been, like, going through TV shows like crazy. Like, we rewatched like, all of Parks and Rec. We <laughs> watched AP Bio, which I, like, wasn't expecting a lot from. But it was honestly so funny and like season one versus season two like you could tell that like the writers like really got creative you could tell the cast was like really like you know like getting the chemistry together so that was really fun like I feel like I'm much more of a tv person like thanks to my roommate um so I'm glad that you like brought me back to my roots back to watching a couple movies for our little conversation today yeah I will mention that since our conversation last summer like our recording actually I've been more pretentious than ever with the time I choose. Not because of the films, but because of the time invested into each of them. Because a lot of them are two hours and more. And so what I do to chill, I've been watching a lot of cartoons. So I'm not sure about this show. It's um, It was very popular back in the day. It's called Regular Show. Even though it's called Regular Show, it's still quite popular. I mean, pretentious about that. <laughs> I remember seeing the like commercials for it on like Cartoon Network in like the way back, but I don't think I ever watched regular show. Really? No, no, no. I think if you watch like the first few episodes from the first, actually the first season, if you watch the first season, you'll understand my type of humor. 
like the type of stuff that I want to make because it's it's like a formula where Mordecai, Mordecai and Rigby, Mordecai is the bird and Rigby is the raccoon. They're just doofuses. Like do, they do something stupid. Their boss gets mad at them and they try to come up with a solution. And then something outlandish and super or supernatural or both happens and they have to just try to solve it. Each episode is like 10, 11 minutes and that's it for every single episode. So. Yeah, they they really do a lot of references to like old stuff. Like I think one of the voice actors he plays a character who dresses up like one of the characters he played for an anime called Cowboy Bebop for like a Halloween episode. Oh, interesting. So for people who know Cowboy Bebop and regular show, it's the Halloween episode. I forgot which one which one it was, but you'll you'll know what I mean when you see it. So yeah, TV shows. I've been watching a lot of TV shows, mostly cartoons. And right now I'm watching through Batman Beyond, which. I have to say is really ahead of its time, but also not in the same way because they could really get away with a lot more stuff back then in nineties because they, uh, it's targeted towards kids and teenagers, like early teenagers, but they talk mm-hmm. about gun violence. They talk about corrupt political corruption and even talk about addiction as well. So it's a lot of, a lot but to do they talk about it? Do they talk about those issues in like, a like constructive way or are they like glee back in the day like do you remember like glee would try to talk about like teen pregnancy gun violence like like uh like like being gay and like whatever but they just like did not handle it that (laughs) well like because it was because it was glee and they had to fit in like a madonna song like in the plot you know like or was it like actually a really good like you know conversation about those issues I'd say it's um more realistic in the sense of like what motivates an addict to commit crimes, if that makes sense, because of the high. Oh, okay. Yeah, so like the latest episode I saw, I think it's from season two actually, where the villain he keeps his victims or his users in like a dreamlike state where they are like in their fantasy land, and the serotonin levels of in their brain are really high, and once they get out, they feel really low. And so they had to like pay him more money so they can stay in that dreamlike state to the point where like he, um, the people, the users start committing crimes to get the money to stay in that dreamlike state. Mm. So Terry, he's the new Batman. He's like a high school student, which I think it should have been saying college, but whatever, because like of how like okay. how they act essentially, not how they act, but you, you know what I mean. Like the situations they're placed in are yeah. more like college age like then like high school yeah like i think if it would fit better if they were in college like at least undergraduate maybe even graduate because terry the the character batman he's very athletic and he knows how to fight very well already and he's only supposed to be like what 17 but yeah his friend gets addicted to like the dreamlike state whatever and he tells like Mm. you're you have an addiction like your family loves you you just have an addiction oh wow that's intense so is is the cartoons like your main media right now or is that like your palate cleanser like you're like watching like i don't know the godfather and then you're like i mean like a little break you know with regular show or is like that kind of been your main focus recently is the cartoons mostly just like to chill i I also mentioned i don't like the godfather as a filmmaker (laughs) apparently it's a sin to not like it listen every time that i mention i don't like the godfather i automatically have to defend myself Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Like, what do you mean you don't like The Godfather? It's one of the best movies ever made. I'm like, I don't know, man. I just didn't really like it, okay? Like, it's what inspired, like, so many things. I'm like, yeah, I get that. I just don't think it carries well in today's age. Well, what do you think is a great gangster movie? Uh, Goodfellas. 
Come on, man. I have to defend myself every time. <laughs> and I hate that. Sorry, I didn't I didn't mean to open the whole cans of worms. I was like, what's a like pretentiousy like film like movie? And I was like, ah, the Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. No, because listen, uh, I went to MC, Montgomery College, for one semester. I made one mention. I just said, hey, I don't really like the Godfather. And the whole class turned against me. The whole class. It is 9.30 a.m. on a Monday morning. Why do I have to defend myself to all of you people who've, who like films, apparently? I like films, too. Why are you, like, coming against me because I don't like one movie? Wow, to be attacked like that at 9.30 in the morning. Oh. On a Monday, I had to... Do you know how far Montgomery, <laughs> Montgomery College was from where I lived? From where I lived, I had to drive, like, an hour to get there. So, like, not only did I have to get there earlier than everyone else, they are attacking me for some movie that I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> on a Monday morning. <laughs> Would it have been better if it was like a Wednesday or? <laughs> I think I would have more energy on a Wednesday. If it was 9.30 a.m. on a Wednesday, I probably would have more energy, you know? It's like, I'm in it. Yeah. But like, no, I just started the week and y'all are all attacking me for this. Come on. <laughs> Drop class. Like. <laughs> so I want to talk to you guys. Uh, I want to introduce a new segment of the show. I don't have a name for it yet. But if you can give me recommendations, I will take them into consideration. Basically, I want to hear from you, my listeners, and learn about what you're watching. I started this podcast with the intention of encouraging my listeners to cross off films from their watch list. I even end the show by saying cross off a new film from your list. But I have no way of knowing if people are really doing so. So I started a voice message thing where you can call a number, leave a voice message about a recent movie you saw, and whether you found it a hit or a miss. So people who are subscribed to my monthly newsletter were the first to hear about this. So here's our first caller from Maryland. His name is Brian, and let's hear what he has to say about this movie. Hey, this is Brian leaving a message for the podcast, for Jason's podcast. Just wanted to talk about a movie I've recently crossed off my list, which was Snowpiercer. Uh, was a movie received critical acclaim back in, I believe, 2013, um, starring Chris Evans. I think this is one of these movies that started off really well, was great at the time in 2013 and just hasn't aged great, just hasn't, hasn't aged well. It feels kind of like a uh, a more poorly produced Hunger Games. But um, that's my movie I've recently crossed off my list. Didn't love it, but wanted to support the channel and uh, give you a call. Have a good one. Bye-bye. So, Brian, thank you so much for leaving that message. I will say that film is a very divisive film. So it's Snowpiercer. It was released in 2013. People either really loved it or they really hated it. So I think you're in the camp that didn't really like it. I'm in the other camp where I really enjoyed this film. So fun fact for you, this movie is from the same director as the man who directed Parasite from 2019. And you can see like how he views class through almost all of his films. It's more obvious in this movie and in Parasite. So if you view it from those lens, you might like it even more. Plus, there's a fan theory that this movie is connected to the Willy Wonka movie from the 70s. So I don't want to go too much into detail about that because it's its own video. But go learn more about that and try to watch it again after you watch that video of how it's connected to the Willy Wonka and Chocolate Factory. Rachel, do you know what movie he's talking about? I know of it because uh, Jason and I are like friends in real life outside of just me guest starring on his podcast. And sometimes we'll have like little film watch parties together, like using like the Netflix party 
plugin or I think Amazon Prime Video has like a built-in like stream together like feature and that was one of our options at one point of like what movie we wanted to watch and instead I think we watched that weird one about like the Aztec curse or whatever what was that movie I think it was vibes yeah vibes yeah vibes so I don't know if that was a win for us or an L for us but um <laughs> no but I mean if I'm going to be honest about like who I am my thoughts if it has Chris Evan in it I'll probably enjoy it just for the basic fact that I get to see Chris Evans' face. <laughs> and that's my thoughts. <laughs> I saw this movie also because of Chris Evans, not knowing it was directed by um, a South Korean director. And there's also Korean spoken in the movie. So it's like, I think it's like 75% English, 25% Korean. I may be wrong about that. But I was happy to see like the diversity of like the languages spoken in there. Also about this movie... This was distributed through the Weinstein Company, previous owner Harvey Weinstein. Awkward. <laughs> yeah. So Harvey is famous for not just like being an asshole and committing all those crimes, but also in like the filmmaking world, in distribution world, he would cut a lot of films from what they're originally perceived as so that he could be able to sell it in America. There's this scene where they're on a train, essentially. They train across the world and like that stay there because the world's frozen, whatever. There's a scene where like the heroes of the film, they get to a certain section and they're face to face with like masked men who carry axes and one of the guys carry has a huge fish and guts it right in front of them with their axes because they don't have any weapons, but the masked men have axes. Like the only weapons they have are like pipes or like whatever they can find. Going up against sharp objects was like, that was like the threat essentially, like we can gut you. And it's a very intense fight scene right there. He wanted to cut that section out because he thought it was gross. And then the director, he said, um, Harvey, this movie, this part is very special to me because my father was a fisherman. And Harvey's like, well, family's very important to me. You can leave it in. And the guy who was with him is like, is that true? No, I, I fucking lied, man. <laughs> I want to keep that in. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love this director. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, bro, this man is my hero. It's <laughs> like, no, man, I fucking lied. He, my father was never a fisherman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Harvey Weinstein's like, pause, let me read the Wikipedia article to fact check you. Like, <laughs> I'm really glad he was able to lie because I really like that scene. Thank you, Brian, for calling in. I really appreciate you for leaving that message. If you want to leave a voice message uh, on like a recent movie you've seen and whether you found it hit or miss, you can call 301-778-8235. Leave a voice message about a movie you've recently seen and you could be featured on a future episode. The two films we will be discussing today are Emma, directed by Autumn DeWeld, and Hillbilly Elegy, directed by Ron Howard. Hillbilly Elegy is a 2020 American drama film directed by Ron Howard from a screenplay by Vanessa Taylor based on the 2016 memoir of the same name by J.D. Vance. The film stars Amy Adams, Glenn Close, Gabriel Basso, Haley Bennett, Frida Pinto, Bo Hopkins, and Owen Astalos, and follows a Yale law student who must return to his family in Ohio after a family emergency. So this movie was on Rachel's list. Rachel, why was this movie on your list? Yeah, thanks, Jason. So it was actually on my list because of the book that you mentioned, um, like JD's memoir. So 
I have been in like a really big reading kick in like 2020, kind of ever since the pandemic started, I was like, I fell in love with reading again. And so I had read this book called Strangers in Their Own Land, and it's this like sociologist um, goes to like rural Louisiana and is interviewing people who are members of the Tea Party. And this like liberal person is trying to like understand like the world and like the political opinions of like these more conservative people and so after I read that like you know on Amazon or on Goodreads you get recommendations for what to read next and Hellbilly Elegy came up but I thought it was really interesting because like Strangers in Their Own Land I mean they're both nonfiction, but Strangers in Their Own Land was very much like this like very formal like political profile or, or like sociological profile and then I thought it was like interesting to see that compared to this like memoir and it's like both were kind of recommended as ways for liberal people to understand like the American right in like the like modern era or whatever so I thought it was really interesting but I never got around to reading the book so I was like maybe I could shortcut the book and just watch the movie <laughs> I haven't read the book. I did watch the movie and I read the Wikipedia and I saw like the critical reception to it. The book, I would say, is very different to the movie hmm. because it talks more about his upbringing and I don't think it really dramatizes his um his mother's addiction. But then again, I could be wrong because I haven't read the book. You know, I just read the Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the movie? Uh, like a star rating or just general thoughts? Like, uh, doesn't matter. what. Just general thoughts. What What did you think of the movie? I I enjoyed it. I feel like I like kind of like phased in and out of like being like really into it. But by the end, like I ended it like bawling my eyes out. I don't know why. I think <laughs> I'll talk about later why I think it is. But I was just like crying so hard. I thought that it had some really beautiful cinematography. Like I feel like from the very first scene when he's like in Kentucky like in the lake, like I was already like, wow, this is some really beautiful cinematography. And I was really shocked at like how like raw it was, like especially because in my mind, it was going to be something similar to this other book that I had read that was like the sociological perspective. And instead it was like so deeply personal and like so painful to see this like family and their way of interacting. So I I actually really did enjoy it. What, what about you, Jason? I liked it for the most part. Um, how do I say this without sounding too mean? Um, I liked it. <laughs> without sounding too mean, I liked it. <laughs> yeah, because I just... There's like a whole thing I have about this movie that I, I don't want to say I have problems with, but I have criticisms about, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, I, I do enjoy the cinematography. I agree with you there. And I really thought it was impressive how they made the actors look almost exactly like the people they were portraying. It was dead oh, yeah. on. Those those end credits, like my my roommate, I like had like changed rooms where I was watching it. And she so she saw like some of the very end scenes and then saw like the end credits with me and was like, wait a second, are those like photos of the actors? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Those are the like home footage movies, like the home like footage videos and like photos like th- those are the real people. Those were the actors. They look identical. <laughs> yeah, it was like very much like that. In fact, um, Glenn Close's character of Mama, I, I kept thinking of what's her name. I, I keep forgetting her name, but she's on SNL. She will sometimes play Hillary Clinton <laughs> and Justin Bieber. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought of her. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the voice also sounded exactly the same as like, I'm, I'm sure she's played like an old woman character before. And I thought of that. And I was like, 
What? <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, so why were you crying by the end? Okay, so I... This is one of the points I wanted to, like, talk about with, like, this, like, movie is I feel like it had a really big theme of, like, kind of, like, this generational trauma or, like, this cycle of, like, you know, these violent, toxic, unhealthy relationships, you know, because we see, like, um, Mama and, like, Papa's, I think that's what they called, like, the grandparents. Like, a girl literally set her husband on fire <laughs> because... Uh, spoilers, sorry, everyone. Like, she literally set the husband on fire because he was, like, a raging alcoholic. And then, like, the mother was, like, abusive and was, like, I could crash this car right now. And, like, it was, like, you know, so toxic, so unhealthy, like, so hard to watch. And I felt like the end when he is, like, I'm going to go back and get this job. And he's, like, spending all night driving and talking to his girlfriend, Usha. I felt like it really showed, like, the resolution of like escaping this like traumatic cycle because to me it's like not only is he escaping in the sense that he's going to become this big wig like Yale lawyer or whatever but also he is like learning how to have these like healthy relationships and like be open and be honest with Usha and I just thought that was like a really beautiful like way to like wrap it up so I, I feel like that's why I got really emotional like I think it was just like really beautiful to like see that like progress in him like escape that like cycle I'm guessing you probably did not cry at the end like but <laughs> that was my whole like analysis <laughs> I did a little bit like I don't want to say like I didn't cry I did a little bit um when you're talking about like escaping the cycle I just thought of like the tunnel they had to go through to get into the town and get out because mm. I always thought like whenever they go through the tunnel it's like they're going to another world and when they get out they get back into another world or whatever oh I like that mm -hmm. if, if, if you see like in the beginning when they go back to Ohio they had to go through that tunnel and when he comes back to Ohio to help his mom same tunnel and he actually like make an emphasis of like showing it's like a different world and when he gets out he gets out slowly so like you see a little bit of the tunnel as he going as he's going through so I like those parts of like showing like the transitions in between like the different worlds right there as far as like the ending I wasn't a big fan of the ending like I thought it was a good ending but when they say they show like the um, what happens to the characters after the movie, after the events in the movie, like, this person went on to become a lawyer or whatever. Like, the, that, I don't know what it's called, but, like, you, I think you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. They they mentioned that his mom has been sober for six years now, and I wanted them to show her in that journey to recovery, if that makes sense, like, eventually showing it. And it's just shoehorned into the end, because they made her character full of pity, like she was helpless or whatever. But she eventually recovered, and she's sober. She's been sober for six years now. So I wanted to see that part of it. Like, what was her moment of like getting better? If that makes sense, because I understand it's JD's story, but it's also like his family's story as well. You know, I didn't want it to be set out to be like the savior for the family. Well, see, I think that's interesting because I like had a note where coming to this, I thought it would be mostly about JD because it is his memoir it is like his like I don't know like final like I don't know becoming a lawyer like coming at ease like with his family or whatever but I felt like the movie was like I found his mom at a lot of points to be like the main character like I feel like 
he was sometimes just like a background to whatever like crisis she was going through or whatever like transition she was making. So I like kind of had a question of like, you know, who really is like the main character in this movie? Like, is it really JD or is it his mom? And I like uh, think it's really interesting that you're right, that she is sort of made this like main character, like her mental health, her battle with addiction is the main focus for probably a large part of the movie. But then we don't really get a nice resolution for her in the same way we do with like JD and his relationship. Yeah, definitely. And this is going to be a quick comment because it just crossed into my mind. There's a scene in the movie where Beverly, JD's mom, she puts on roller skates and starts skating through the hospital that she works at. Yes. <laughs> here's here's what I thought. I'm like, this is great material for TikTok right here. <laughs> because how many videos have you seen of like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying I've seen these videos, but I know there are videos of nurses doing TikTok dances during the pandemic <laughs> and like i don't want to discredit them for having fun but they're they're at, they're at work okay and you're doing tiktok dances <laughs> but also these women are probably not like on their patient's drugs doing the tiktok <laughs> dances jason yeah i just thought it's like great tiktok material right here Who who's gonna who's who's gonna be the one uh, who's gonna be the one to like put on roller skates and skate through the hallways of the, the hospital that they work at i want to know i want to know but also, I kind of don't. Please don't do that. No, I, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Please don't do this at all. That's It is very irresponsible. Do not do this. In an alternate timeline, the last um, episode of The Hit List we did together, we watched The Social Network. So in an alternate timeline, J.D. Vance was actually exactly like Mark Zuckerberg. And instead of becoming a Yale lawyer, he was becoming a Silicon Valley-like a software engineer and he invented TikTok just so his mom could be the roller skating nurse and get viral. (laughs) (laughs) That's the alternate reality, you know, when you want to embellish your life story, make it like a little more pizzazzy. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of which, um, when you say embellish your life story, they show him networking with other lawyers at that dinner. And he's very um, self-conscious about that because he doesn't know which fork to use for his food which side his drink and which side his bread is on. And I will say this, that if you're ever confused about etiquette dinners, please take an etiquette course. Usually at your school, they'll offer at least one where you can either like pay a small fee or they'll do it for free. But those are very beneficial because apparently they judge you on your knowledge of etiquette, which I think is kind of bullshit, but it's kind of like the way way it is. So... He was um, very self-conscious about like where he was because all these top lawyers, whatever, are from very different backgrounds than from what he is. He's considered like a, a redneck, a hillbilly, and he went for, he went to the Marines and then went to college to become a lawyer or at least go to Yale Law School because he didn't become a lawyer. He got his Juris Doctor degree, whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, but yeah, he was very, very self-conscious like that. And then he goes to the dinner. And he doesn't know how to relate to these people because it, you, you have to do that. Like when you introduce yourself, find a way to relate to the people that you're speaking to. He couldn't find it. So he he went back to like his reserve piece of knowledge of like, yeah, my my family, they're um, they're behind the Hatfield-McCoy um, dispute. And like, oh, we know about that. <laughs> <laughs> and I relate to that because my parents are immigrants, right? And I was born here in, in the United States. And I hate that I have to always use that to get into the room if that makes sense like i'm proud of like where i'm from like my family history but i want to be able there are some moments where i just want to be able to get in somewhere 
based off my merits sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like I've made a lot of connections based on like the immigrant backstory because I know a lot of people who are either immigrants or they're uh, children of immigrants and who are very amazing people. But there are moments where I'm like, Can't... all right, I- I'm a filmmaker, blah, blah, blah. Oh, okay. Uh, my parents are immigrants from blah, blah, blah. Oh, okay. You're, you're an immigrant filmmaker. I'm like, ah, come on. I don't want to like say like it's a bad thing. It just gets annoying after a certain point, if that makes sense. I feel like also having to like present yourself in that way like adds on like this extra layer of like expectation. Like for you as a filmmaker, it might like, you know, make them think that your films are about like the immigrant experience, even if right. that might not actually be your area of interest or if they're like, yeah, haha, you like call everyone ma'am and sir, and you're like a redneck who's so different than your redneck family, or like whatever. And he was like, I'm not okay with you making that assumption that my family is stupid, that like they're just rednecks or whatever. Like, you know, I thought that was really interesting, like him uh, standing up to that like stereotype of this like story, like of himself and of his family. Yeah, so. I've never gotten that far uh, with it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, because, like, listen, I want, I'm want i a fun... Fi- I don't want to say I'm a fun filmmaker. I want to make films that are fun, okay? Not just about the immigrant experience. Like, superhero movies, okay? I want to make superhero movies. And, like, mystery movies as well. Don't contact me for all those immigrant stories. I will do a couple, but, like, don't, don't make me the de facto immigrant movie director, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, yeah, so that's that's what I mean. It's, I think it's also relates to like some like stories about like black people. There's so many stories and films about black trauma and not really like fun movies, like just like fantasy movies about them, if that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. I saw a trailer called, for a movie called Them, which is about like a black family moves into a white neighborhood and the white neighbors terrorize them. I'm like, can we just get like, I, I, just like a movie like, uh, um, Another movie that's not about black trauma that has black characters in it? Or is that, like, the de facto, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've heard the the same thing. Like, uh, like I have a lot of friends who are in the LGBT, uh, like, community. And they're, like, every, like, film about someone who's, like, gay is all about the trauma of having to come out. Or, like, of being, like, outed when you're not ready. Or, like, being hated by your family. And they're, like can we not just have one like happy love story, you know, or can we like have one movie where we aren't like, you know, the like random side friend who's sassy, you know, I feel like in general, like so much of film needs to like, you know, better represent like the whole range of stories about like these underrepresented groups. But what a weird tangent for a movie about (laughs) white people. (laughs) Well, I will say it's like a forgotten segment, not a forgotten segment, but like a very neglected segment of white people, if that makes sense. Because they're yeah, they're the most neglected part of like that demographic. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about like the, the reception to the book that the movie's based on. So there were some people who liked the film, who liked the book, saying it's like, oh, it's the American dream. He really brought himself up. One person who I would say is like very similar in background to J.D. Vance would be Abraham Lincoln because he was also from an Appalachian area and he grew up dirt poor, like very poor. For those of you who don't know, he was so poor that when his mother died, his father left him and his sister at his at their house and like out in the woods, went to find another woman to marry. And when they came back, he was basically feral because he was like nine at the time when he left his son there by himself 
and there was no floor, there was no door, there was nothing. Oh my god. He was a self-learner. He read every book he could get his hands on, even walking miles to get like the nearest book to read um, while he was like working as a clerk. So that's like the closest person I could think of in terms of background of J.D. Vance. And then he eventually like failed so many times to become like a politician, like run for office. He eventually got one, but he didn't do a good job from that one time. And he eventually became president of the United States, did all that stuff, and unfortunately was assassinated. So closest guy I could think of. Are you predicting the future of J.D. Vance now? Like <laughs> I, hope, I hope not. I hope, I hope not because... Abraham Lincoln was a lot smarter than J.D. Vance. <laughs> Sorry, J.D. But no, 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 don't say that. His mom was the salutatorian, Jason. So his mom was second best, is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, the book was very much admired in like um, both like in the spectrum of like political left and right. It was, it was mostly in like conservative area. American Conservative is like a website and a blogger named Rod Dreher, he expressed admiration for the, for the book because he said that Vance draws conclusions that may be hard for some people to take, but Vance has earned the right to make those judgments. This was his life. He speaks with authority that has been extremely hard won. And then the next month, the same guy posted why liberals love the book. But in contrast to that, Jared Yates Sexton of Salon, he criticized Vance for his damaging rhetoric and for endorsing policies used to, quote, gut the poor, end quote. Because he argues that he totally discounts the role racism played in the white working class's opposition to President Obama, which, by the way, he talks about Obama politics in the book. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so, and also Sarah Jones of the New Republic, she mocked him as a false prophet of blue America, dismissing him as a flawed guy to this world, and the book was little more than a list of myths about welfare queens repackaged as a primer on the white working class. And also Bob Hutton of Jacobin wrote that Vance's argument relied on circular logic and ignored existing scholarship on Appalachian poverty and was primarily a work of self-congratulation. Ooh, those are some fighting words. <laughs> they, they were. But here's the thing. The book also provoked a response in the form of an anthology called Appalachian Reckoning, a region response to Hillbilly Elegy edited by Anthony Harkins and Meredith McCarroll. And the essays in the book criticize Vance for making broad generalizations and reproducing myths about poverty. Hmm. So yeah, th those were criticisms to his book because he made some broad generalizations about like um, a lot of poor people because he said when he was working, so comparatively, he feels that economic insecurity plays a much lesser role in social rot. To lend credence to his argument, Vance regularly relies on personal experience. As a grocery store checkout cashier, he watched welfare recipients talk on cell phones, although the working vans could not afford one. His resentment of those who seemed to profit from poor behavior while he struggled, especially combined with his values of personal responsibility and self-love, is represented as a microalism of the reason of Appalachia's overall political swing from a strong Democratic Party to strong Republican affiliations. Wow, can't believe he's that person that's like... How dare this poor person have a cell phone? Like, oh, <laughs> oh man, I'm... So it sounds like, even though I was like, oh, I'll watch the movie to get around reading the book, it sounds like in order to, like, join in this heated, like, debate, I, I might still have to read the book and the follow-up anthology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I really hate those arguments. Like, it's very similar to, like, the unemployment claims that um, 
the unemployment arguments that came up last year, uh, I guess into this year. Oh, with the like stimulus checks? Yeah. Along with the stimulus checks. So like, how come this person is getting paid $600 a week for being unemployed, but I make less than that at my job? And then like, they completely missed the point, like, because they're paying you less at your job. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> You should be mad at your job paying you less when you should be at someone being unemployed because of the pandemic. And also, why shouldn't why shouldn't a poor person have a phone? Like, why can't they have nice things? Who came up with this notion that poor people can't have nice things? Like, they can't have dignity. I really don't like that notion. It's annoying. Preach, Jason. This just became uh, Pod Save America. <laughs> <laughs> Any other thoughts about this movie? Let me look back at my notes. I think that we covered all that I wanted to talk about and more. So I think I have I have no other points to add. What about you, Jason? Not really. Um, actually, this film is nominated for both Academy Awards and Golden Raspberry Awards. Do you know what a Golden Raspberry Award is? I, I have never heard of a Golden Raspberry. Please inform me, Jason. So it's for like worst director, worst actor. <gasps> yeah. Wait, so it is like, is it in the same categories for both? Like, is it up for the uh, the Academy Award? Is that the same as the Oscars? Since I was talking about earlier in the podcast about being a, a film expert, essentially. <laughs> um, is it up for like Oscar for best director and Raspberry for worst director or is it like oh it has great cinematography but the direction's horrible or like so uh, i will mention this that the golden raspberry awards um suck oh. not just because they would give the worst director for whatever worst awards or whatever but because like they just like very mean about it but basically there are a lot of awards they were nominated for a lot of awards um this movie for the Academy Awards, it's nominated for Best Supporting Actress and Best Hair and Makeup. And for Golden Raspberry Awards, it's nominated for Worst Director, Worst Supporting Actress, and Worst Screenplay. So was the polarizing person, like the person who's both Best Actress and Worst Actress, is that for, um, for Amy Glenn Adams? Close. or For Glenn Close. Oh, Glenn Close is the grandma? Oh, interesting. So for both? For both of that. Yeah, I think it's happened before with Sandra Bullock. She won a Razzie Award and an Academy Award in the same year. But I'm not sure if it was for the same role. Oh, yeah. 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 We'll have to fact check, you know, add a little editorial comment here. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, she actually showed up to the Golden Razzie Award. So, like, whenever people are, uh, like, nominated and they win a Razzie Award, most of the time you don't want to show up to be, like, the worst director, right? Yeah. But there have been very few who actually have shown up. And when she went up to like accept her Golden Razzie Award, she said, y'all better shut before I read the whole script to you of this movie you just nominated me for and gave me an award for. <laughs> <laughs> and he actually did. <laughs> they let her speak. I love that energy. Wow. I love that energy. Wow. Because in the same, the same year, she won a Razzie and an Academy Award. So like y'all just hating. And they've been like historically known for like doing like worst, worst actor for a lot of films about, um, about women, essentially. There's a movie called Showgirls that was did terribly in the box office, but did very well in the rental office because it was in the 90s and back when people could like rent, D, rent, rent VHSs. Yeah. I think that director also showed up for like that one. And they're just I'm like... I'm so sad that both... Um, Sorry, I was just going to say it's so sad that both probably like the Razzie Awards and the Academy Awards probably have like the same ratio of like men and women. Like, it's probably, like, because I feel like, I, I don't know if this is true, this is just kind of, like, a, something I've heard, is that, like, um like movies from, like, directors of color or, like, 
directors of like maybe like foreign films like they can never make it to like the best picture award they can only make it to like the best foreign film award or you know like whatever like it's much harder for these people from non like white male backgrounds to do well at the uh Oscars Uh, it's like so funny that it's like the same where like the Razzie awards are like we hate women too (laughs) yeah um two things actually actually three things it's it has more good awards like nomination awards but it does bad Oh, interesting. Ten institutions have like given them nominations. As far as Golden Raspberry Awards, I'm seeing right here for this year's nominees for Worst Actress, they have both Anne Hathaway and Katie Holmes for being the worst actress in two different movies each. <laughs> Do they just like hate Anne Hathaway? Like, <laughs> I I don't know. I don't get why people don't like Anne Hathaway. I thought she was good. Yeah. There was a period of time where like people didn't really like her on the internet, and I'm like, why? Like, what has she done to you? <laughs> what giving looks like serving looks and like serving great movies is that is that all like ella enchanted great <laughs> the princess diaries one and two great fantastic dark knight rises she was phenomenal in that one even though that movie wasn't great so i don't get it sometimes people wake up and they decide to be a hater so whatever <laughs> that's like majority of people about batman versus superman dawn of justice i still don't get why the movie gets so much hate they just hate 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 third thing <laughs> This movie made me learn about the existence of the AARP Movies for Grown-Up Awards. This movie? Like, like, Hillbilly Elegy? It's also nominated for that? Yeah, so I didn't even know that the AARP had, like, a movie award, like, institution. Wow, neither did I. Suddenly this is an educational podcast. It's nominated for Best Supporting Actress for Glenn Close and Best Intergenerational Film. Hmm. I'm sure there's so many competitors, you know, for the intergenerational (laughs) film category. And now a word from our sponsors. Now back to the show. Emma is a 2020 period comedy drama film directed by Autumn DeWilde from a screenplay by Eleanor Catton based on Jane Austen's 1815 novel of the same name. The film follows the story of Miss Emma Woodhouse, played by Anya Taylor-Joy, a wealthy and elegant young woman living with her father in Regency-era England. Something of a queen bee in her sleepy little town, Emma amuses herself with matchmaking and medals in the romantic lives of those closest to her. In this glittering satire of social class, Emma must navigate her way through the challenges of growing up, friendship strife, and misguided matches before she can recognize the love that has been there all along and earn her happily ever after. The film stars Johnny Flynn, Josh O'Connor, Callum Turner, Mia Goth, Miranda Hart, and Bill Nye. This was on Jason's list. So, Jason, why Emma? For the very obvious reason, it has Anya Taylor joined there. But also because, I'm not sure most of you know, but I work at a radio station and we make podcasts there. And there's a film discussion related podcast and they talked about this movie last year before the pandemic started. I thought maybe I should watch it because it looks very nice, looks well produced. And I saw some screenshots of the movie. And I thought, like, might as well watch it soon. And then I saw it was on HBO Max. I'm like, okay, it's time to watch it. I learned that this, the book that is based on is very popular because when I put Emma on the search bar for HBO Max, three different movies came up. <laughs> and the only, <laughs> only way you can tell this movie is because there's a period at the end of Emma for the movie that we're talking about. And 
Yeah. So that's kind of why it was on my list. So I do have a quick follow-up question for like why it's on your list. Did you first see Anya Taylor-Joy in um, The Queen's Gambit? Did you first see her there and that's why you're interested? Or are you like a longer, you know, you're like, oh, I liked Anya Taylor-Joy before she was cool. <laughs> I wouldn't say before she was cool, but um, no, I have not seen The, seen the Queen's Gambit. thing about mm, me is... Mm-hmm. If a lot of people are watching a certain show, I will not watch it because I don't want to give in to the hype because I've been disappointed many times, many, many times. So that's why I haven't seen Bridgerton yet. That's why I haven't seen Queen's Gambit yet. I've known about Anya Taylor-Joy since like 2015 when she was on The Witch. Oh, I've never heard of that. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty good movie. It was a little boring, but that's how I first knew about her. I've actually heard so many people like post Queen's Gambit were like, I need to learn chess. I need to become good at chess. Chess looks so fun. But like, let me tell you, I'm sorry, people who love chess. Chess is not that interesting. It is not. <laughs> it can be if you like playing with the right people. It can be very fun. Most of the time, it's very boring. I learned chess in summer school and back in middle school. Ooh, baby. Yeah, because like quick story about summer school back in middle school we had our classes in the morning and we were done by 11 but they kept us till three for some reason until i found out later oh that was basically just daycare <laughs> oh my god <laughs> they didn't want to leave, leave us alone in our houses they didn't trust us which good reason because we were assholes <laughs> but we, we learned chess then and like i never really got good at it but I never really saw it getting popular until somehow the, the grace of Anya Taylor-Joy brought it during the pandemic. Okay, so what did you think about Emma, Jason? Okay, so uh, when I was watching this movie, I was like, this sounds like a very similar plotline to Clueless. And then like halfway through the movie, I'm like, it is Clueless. This is like the source material for Clueless. I get it now. Like I always knew... <laughs> I always knew it was based off like a, a literature novel, mm-hmm. but I always forgot whether it was like Shakespeare or something else. And then I realized I had clueless confused with 10 things I hate about you. Which is based off of Twelfth Night from Shakespeare. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, or wait, not Twelfth like, Night. Cut that out because it's Taming of the Shrew and I lied. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't know. I'm not a Shakespeare person, so. <laughs> I think it's based off of Taming of the Shrew because the whole point is that she's a bitch and they're like, stop being a bitch. Date this man. (laughs) Except for in Shakespeare, it's like, stop being a bitch. Just get married. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. So just pretend that I really am. I actually am well read. I just sometimes like word vomit all over the place. Like, so you wouldn't know I'm actually good at literature. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So. I was watching it and I realized, oh, it's Clueless. And then after I realized, connected the dots, I'm like, I know how this is going to end now. Yeah. But I still liked it, which is surprising because this is so outside of my comfort zone. I am not the type of guy to watch romantic comedies. I'm like the action guy, the superhero guy. I watch all the DC Comics movies, whether they're divisive or not. I will begrudgingly watch Marvel movies because they all follow the same formula. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to get into that tangent. Like, I'm that person that watches all those action movies. Never into romantic comedies because, like, if you see most romantic comedies, most of them, especially if they're from, like, the, the Hallmark channel, are terribly acted, terrible script, make no sense at all, mm-hmm. yada, yada, yada. So that's why I never really got into that. And also, I don't like period dramas because, like, I don't understand what they're saying at all. <laughs> like, they're speaking a language I don't understand. 
So I had to watch with captions on. Which, by the way, I did watch this movie with captions on. Otherwise, I would not have understood it at all. It's okay, dude. I, I always have subtitles on. I'm just going to say it's, like, funny because I feel like I'm in the, like, exact opposite category. I love, like, rom-coms. I love, like, period films. And I literally have a note that I want this to be good because my standards for these, like, literature adaption period pieces uh, is, like, Pride and Prejudice 2005. Like, (laughs) so good. Like, absolutely amazing. And then also um, Little Woman in 2019. I don't know if you saw... That Little Woman's actually the last movie I saw in theaters pre-pandemic. So mm. an extra special place in my heart. Uh, the only thing you know about Little Women, other than it's directed by, not written by Jane Austen, is that, um, what's his oh, name? That's wrong. <laughs> Little Woman is not written by Jane Austen. Who is it Who is it from? It's, uh, so Pride and Prejudice is also Jane Austen. Uh, Little Woman's Louisa May Alcott. Uh, Alcott. I might have said the last name wrong, but... I guess I don't know one thing about Little Women. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say that you maybe knew about Little Woman? Maybe it still is true. Okay, so I guess the one thing I know about that movie was when Adam Driver uh, was the host for Saturday Night Live back in 2020, January 2020. He His monologue was like, he was sitting on the floor. He was like, uh, I saw Little Women in theaters. Spoiler alert. There's not a Little Women. There's a lot of women. <laughs> So that's the only thing I know about Little Women. That's the only thing. Well, if you ever go back and watch, like, either of those movies, I feel like they're, like, the, like, cream of the crop as far as, like, these, like, literature, like, period piece adaptions. Like, they are just, like, so good. Just, like, amazing. I can't believe I know more about two movies than Jason does. Like, (laughs) one more check mark for Rachel. (laughs) I don't want to say it's two movies. It's, like, an entire genre over, over me. Yeah, pr- yeah, probably. <laughs> two, actually, two, two, period dramas and romantic comedies, which I'm starting to get into romantic comedies as well because the only ones that I really like, um, because they're like male centered and it's, I'm the demographic, I guess, is like Hitch and Five Hundred Days of Summer, and that's it. <laughs> okay, okay. I actually haven't seen either of those. I don't think so. You, you really might have a leg up still. <laughs> yeah, I thought this movie was um, overall. I really liked it. I was surprised that I liked it. Like, at first, I'm like, these people are pretentious. And then I realized, oh, this is a satire of, like, these people. And then I started to enjoy it more to the point where, like, I think towards, like, the like last 40 minutes, last 30, 40 minutes, I'm like, oh, I'm gasping at all the re- revelations. Like, what? <laughs> he was the secret admirer? Not that guy? <laughs> I'm like, what? They were secretly engaged the whole time and he was leading her on? <laughs> like, to the point, like, run! Like, I was like... It's like those like twists that like I never thought I would be like shocked at because it's like those it's like the soap opera um revelations like the twists and turns from like soap operas but like less less like soap operas if you know what I mean because it's from that yeah book. I understand exactly yeah I think that's like a really interesting part of like um like a lot of Jane Austen works in general because I've read like Sense and Sensibility and like Pride and Prejudice never read Emma though. Um, But, like, so much of her work is about, like, making a caricature of, like, this, like, emerging middle and upper class, like, in this, like, Regency era of England and just really showing, like, like, how absurd it is, like, how absurd the, like, people are with their newfound wealth, like, how absurd all the relationships and, like, social, like, um, rules you have to follow 
are. Mm -hmm. And I think like the other cool like thing that's also reflected in like this work is like so much of it has like this like moral of we like because we're in the society, you know, we live in a society where we <laughs> always think that <laughs> <laughs> we live you know, in a society. <laughs> We think that what will make us happy is, like, the, like, hottest person. The person that has, like, the biggest estate or, like, whatever. But, like, really, it's, like, about the character of the people. And, um, and like, especially it seems to, like, go a lot towards people who, like, balance you out or, like, can keep, like, the bad parts of your personality in check. Like, you know, like, Knightley, the, like, love interest of Emma, like, in the end, like, you know, one of the, like, main parts of why we like him as like a love interest and as a character is because he kind of calls emma out on like her bullshit it's like yeah emma you're like rude to like uh whatever the like miss bates like the mm -hmm. woman was like you know you like can't be messing in people's lives you can't be like treating people like this so um yeah i thought i just thought that i was like interesting just fun facts about jane austen for you this day <laughs> knightley was definitely my favorite character in the film because he always called her out on her bullshit like mm -hmm. bro why did why did you like tell what's her name the friend god damn the i always forget the oh names. harriet the the yeah, like yeah, ugly yeah. duckling kind of friend that was like <laughs> harriet i think yeah harriet like why did you tell harriet to can't to not say yes to the engagement like she likes him and he likes her and that would be like a good up for her and she's like She's like, well, it's her choice. She's a woman. Like, a woman can make her own choices. He's like, you're really manipulating her with that whole reasoning. Yeah. He definitely was one of my favorite characters in that movie. You didn't like Elton with that, like, creepy little smile? That guy? Oh, <laughs> Every time he did that awkward smile. Oh, I got the heebie-jeebies. I, I think I know why the movie is called Clueless. Because she's clueless. <laughs> like... Everyone can see that he's interested in you, except for you, Emma. And bruh, the actor Josh O'Connor, who plays um, Mr. Elton, he did a great job of playing that creep, you know? Mm -hmm. Apparently, he made a big deal of, like, I will get this frame for this painting. I will make it my duty. And then he, like, <laughs> once he gets it, he makes a big a big deal. Way too much of a big deal. He went extra on, on the both the frame and the presentation of the frame. And he like unveils it and it's like doors are closed. And then you open it and music plays when you see it. Like, why did you go this hard on this? You didn't need to do it. And it's kind of ugly, to be honest. <laughs> that like cute little green box. Like, yeah, what a what a time to be alive. Imagine like instead of getting nudes, you just get sent like a, a like fancy box of like a photo of yourself. <laughs> It's not even a photo, it's Send a painting. Send fancy frames only. <laughs> I guess I can kind of relate to Emma because unlike her, I'm self-aware of my selfishness, okay? I can be very selfish and I tend to say rude things without thinking about it and I've had to really learn how to hold my tongue. An example, I will give you an example. You may see me differently because of this. Oh boy. I used to work at Bath and Body Works, right? And they're known for like their high turnover because it's retail. But the reason why it's like that is because they keep changing the managers. And I was fortunate enough, like when I first started, the managers we had were very good. They knew how to do their jobs. They knew how to get everyone to do everything quickly. And they were likable, right? And then they were fired and some other people were brought in as managers. Uh, mostly like the top sellers, but 
top sellers usually don't make great managers. Be mm-hmm. Just because you're good in one skill doesn't mean you're good in another. Yeah. Anyway, so so then uh, one night I'm there for floor set, which is basically we have to change the floor set because we have new designs, new items to promote, whatever. And it's usually an overnight thing. And like I'm joking with everyone like when we're getting started because everyone's coming in. And the managers are like, oh, he was never like this when um, – I'm going to switch the names. He was never like this when Violet and um, Emma were here. And like, cause the difference is I actually respected Violet and Emma and everyone was like, that that's exactly the reaction in the movie when it's like, hey, you only say three boring things. Uh, you never stop at three though. <laughs> I was like, bruh. Oh, I was, wow. I was like not ready. And it's weird because I feel like the whole movie, I was also like, yeah, this annoying Mrs. Bates. And then as soon as Emma said something mean, I was like, uh, uh-uh, uh, we're going to protect my precious, like little positive baby over here. Yeah. Mrs. Bates was annoying, but she wasn't like mean. She's always been nice to her every single time since she was in, she was, since she was a baby, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. just insults her out of nowhere. Like, where did that come from? Emma. Because it's like, yeah, she annoyed me too. I'm not going to call her out at our nice picnic. Like, what the heck? Oh, man. But back to like what I was saying. Shortly after, I wasn't I wasn't given any more hours because the people I insulted were also in charge of my hours. Yikes. Oh, boy. I didn't think too much of it. Uh, I thought it was funny at the time. Now I was like, okay, it, it was funny, but it was, it was very rude, Jason. You should have apologized. I never apologized. I have a terrible habit of not apologizing. Well, I apologize now. It's been years since this happened. No, I won't apologize. <laughs> <laughs> what were your favorite parts of the movie? One scene that I thought was really interesting in Emma was that in this big dance scene where it is like, you know, the time, like a big turning point in Emma and Knightley's relationship and they're dancing together. If you watch back that scene, everyone is wearing gloves except for... Emma and Knightley and like if you it's like if you know anything about that time period that's like ooh so scandalous um and then it kind of like ends that like dancing with like them like kind of holding hands on her like waist and I just thought that was like a really cool detail like the like gloveless hands kind of part of it but also like it ending on just that like frame of them like touching hands like on her waist like because they were dancing it reminded me of a conversation like my roommate and I, I had had just like prior to watching this movie and it was about like the male gaze versus like the female gaze. Like I think she learned about it from TikTok. So sorry, whatever TikTok content creator like is like, you know, like trademarking the term female gaze. But it's basically like a lot of um like movies are filmed from like the male gaze and really focused on like these like physical aspects of like woman's bodies and then because men are like predominant in like the film industry as like directors cinematographers writers whatever a lot of times like even like romantic movies will be filmed from like the like kind of male gaze perspective like it'll just like reverse the male gaze onto focusing on like some dudes like buff arm muscles or whatever but like in reality women are like more interested in these like finer details and like speaking of like Pride and Prejudice from 2005 like apparently that was given as like a prime example of the female gaze like it's not so much that like Darcy or Knightley or whoever is like super buff or like crazy attractive it's like the little details of like how they like care about each other and are like 
these like small moments of intimacy and I thought that like the hand on the waist like both me and both me and my roommate just like gasped when we saw that we were like oh my gosh like what a turning point like you could feel the intimacy like because it was very much like that like female gaze moment so I just thought that was like interesting I really enjoyed like that scene that turning point um did you have any like favorite part of the movie I don't think I've necessarily had like a favorite part in a movie I think I overall Mm -hmm. liked the whole movie because Anya Taylor-Joy she does a very good job of portraying like a kind of like a mean character but also like likable in a way if that makes sense which is not a very easy thing to do yeah definitely um someone else who I think did a great job in a similar role is Kristen Stewart is it Kristen Stewart I keep forgetting she was in a good place well let me look up her name I might have it wrong all these white women sound the same I don't think Kristen Stewart's in the good place Kristen Bell Kristen Bell yeah yeah I was like there's no way that's Kristen Stewart (laughs) so Kristen Bell she plays a, a a selfish woman who died she has to like both be likable but also likable to the audience, but also very mean to the characters, if that makes sense. It's just like... Yeah, like she's very deeply flawed, yeah. A very hard balance to like um, manage, but she did, a, she did a very great job of doing that. And I think Anya did a good job of doing that as well. Because as selfish as she was, like I still kind of liked her portrayal of um, of Emma. Yeah. I really like the hair, not the hair, the costume design and like the cinematography of this movie. It kind of makes sense because this movie is the directorial debut of Autumn DeWald. Because before this, she was a photographer mostly for like musicians. And she's also done like music videos. And she's also mostly done like portrait photography. She's really good at making the characters look good. The characters look very good wherever they are. Whether it's like in, in light or in dark, she makes them look good. Especially, what's his name? Martin. The character Martin. He just looks sad all the time. Like Harriet's love interest, right? Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does a very good job of doing that, but he still looks good in his clothes. So yeah, that's what I think. Um, Overall, I really like the cinematography and uh, costume design in this movie. Yeah, definitely. I I totally took note of that. I thought it was interesting because I feel like it went a lot more bold than like some of the other period pieces that I at least had specifically watched like if you look at like um like Little Woman or like the Pride and Prejudice that I keep mentioning because they're like my favorites uh like they really went for a much more like muted I feel like color tones like throughout but this was like not afraid to kind of play with the like opulence I guess of this society which I thought was really fun to like see visually yeah, definitely. I think I they did a great job of doing that because a lot of period dramas, like I said, have like muted colors. Mm-hmm. There are some people who are very much, how do I say, anal about accuracy in movies. Mm-hmm. I don't care about it as much because it's a movie. It's not real life, you know? The only place you should really worry about like accuracy are like nonfiction movies. Yeah, like documentaries or like this the memoir that we just talked about with Hillbilly yeah. Elegy. Yeah. Those are the only places where you should worry about accuracy. I don't care if the accuracy is wrong in movies that are meant to be fictional, that are fictional. So if people, someone says the uh, costumes in that period, period drama film weren't accurate, I'm like, okay, and like, what what's the problem? Like, did you not like the movie? No, I just didn't think it was accurate. Don't watch movies with me because I will not enjoy your company. <laughs> yeah, it's like those are two different categories of judgment. So definitely, um, like there's this one guy. I, I already told I, you know who this is. We were watching the Mummy, and this one dude was watching it uh, with us, and he said uh, the swords that they're using are more used in Roman, the Roman era, like with Romans. <gasps> oh yes, I remember this story. <laughs> and, 
that it shouldn't really be used in Egypt. And I'm refraining from going off on this dude because one, Italy and Egypt are on the Mediterranean. So if there is any chance of like stores being interacted between the two, I guess like there could be ch some chance that like the, uh, the Egyptians took some influence from the Romans to make their weapons and vice versa. And two, it's a fucking movie about a mummy. What the fuck are you talking about? Sword accuracy? <laughs> sword accuracy? You're fucking worried about the swords in a mummy monster movie? What? Bro. Oh, oh my god. And that wasn't the only comment he made. He also said, like, the because there are beetles in the movie that, like, eat the humans. He's like, well, what's their food source? What's their food source? In a mummy movie? <laughs> in, a mom in a movie about a mummy coming back from the dead to resurrect his girlfriend. You're talking about the food source for the beetles? <laughs> oh! Oh, my God. <laughs> Suspend your disbelief, dude. Grow up, dude. Grow up! <laughs> like, ah, uh, there are two types of fans of movies, or like in general, any media. There are the fans that lash out at the authors for like the characters. I'm the guy that lashes out at the audience for like criticizing the author, like uh, for like stuff that's like needless. Like you're worried about a fat dude in a fantasy series where there are dragons? Are you serious right now? Like this is based off like, what's his name? Sam Tarley, um, that's the character's name, the actor who portrayed him said that someone came up to him and said like i like the movie but it's not realistic that you're still fat because like you'd be you'd be losing weight if sorry you in 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 what movie oh uh, in game of thrones i'm sorry in game of thrones oh game of thrones oh okay yeah i've never seen game of thrones never never hopped on that bandwagon you don't need to you don't need to that's what i've been told that's what i've been told okay. but yeah so i'm like i don't know who this character is <laughs> so sam tarley he came from a rich well, royalty. He came from basically royalty. That his father disowned him because he's like a nerd. He's like a fat nerd. And so he sent him to the Watch, which is, which is like the border between like the North and the South. And they fight ice zombies over there, right? And there's also dragons in the show, right? And but all that matters to, is that this man is fat. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he said, I don't think it's really realistic that you're still fat. You Shouldn't you be like exercising if you're at the watch? And he said to him, in, in a show about dragons and ice zombies, you're worried about why my character isn't accurately like fit. Like what? <laughs> I, like I'm that type of guy. I like, heard like similar critiques about like representation of like people in color in films. Like it's like, okay, we can imagine a dragon's here, but we can't imagine a black person can be like a knight. Okay, like go off. Like. So yeah, just interesting stuff, I guess. Ugh. But yeah, that's my um little rant on quote unquote accuracy. I'm doing air quotes accuracy in films, and in relation to this continuity errors. Okay, this is, I didn't see any continuity errors in Emma or in Hillbilly Elegant, which I think is they did a pretty good job of like doing that. But for those of you who don't know, a continuity error is when there's a sequence in the film and there's something that's off about one shot. But that's not there in the next shot. So, for example, in The Mandalorian, there's a shot where there's a, not an extra, but a crew member in the background. And next shot, he's not. And that's like a continuity error. Not really continuity. I think it's like more uh, um, a blooper or whatever. But that was left in the final film, in the final product. I'm trying to come up with a better example right here. Um, I, I've seen ones where it's like they critique people because like it'll be in one shot. Like they put down a glass, right? And then they'll like switch to someone else talking and then they'll go back and the person's like has a glass back in their hand or like 
like dumb stuff or it's in a different hand or something. Yeah. Yeah, that's a perfect example of what I mean because most of the time... It's meaningless to the plot, like a yeah. lot of times. I mean, sometimes it'll be random, like consistency errors where it's like, whatever happened to that character? Like, it's like the writers just forgot about them. And it's like, okay, that kind of makes sense to be like critical of. But it's like, do you mm. really care what what hand the glass is in? This isn't a murder mystery where it matters. <laughs> like, what hand was free <laughs> at exactly 7.09? Most of the time, people don't even notice. The only people who notice are the ones looking for it. Yeah. Like, there's there's there are a couple of uh, classmates of mine who were exactly like that for, like, some of the film classes I was in. And I'm like... Just because you notice that doesn't make you a better editor. Like, if you had to worry all about like, continuity and, like, what your projects are, your, your priorities aren't really there. What's his name? I keep forgetting names, but there's, like, a book called In a Blink of an Eye. And it's from the, from the guy who edited the movie Apocalypse Now. And he says, the order of, like, priorities for your editing should be story first. That is, like, 60% of what you focus on and everything else afterwards. Yeah. So if the movie is still following the story based on the editing and there's like one continuity error, then they then their priorities were right. If it wasn't, if it was basically focused only on a continuity and not the story, then the priorities weren't really there. So speaking of like fan criticisms of media, like it's funny that this hasn't come up probably because neither of us have read these books. But what do you think of the critique about the book is always better than the movie? What do you think about like that whole conversation around um, like film and media? So I used to be very much the book is way better than the movie. Mm -hmm. But I've kind of grown into like, well, it depends on what you're doing because the media is so different. Because in the book, most of the time you're in the character protagonist's head. In a movie, you can't really be you can't really be in a protagonist's head, right? I was gonna say, but sometimes I feel like a movie is like better for like the world building aspect. Like, right. there's some stuff where like you might not be able to picture like some like futuristic building or whatever, but then like you see it <laughs> and you're like, oh, like or whatever. So yeah, for me, it depends. Like that's the, that's my answer. It depends on like the book and the movie and what they're each trying to achieve. So for example, I'm trying to think of like a book to a movie. I can't think of one. Even though there's thousands. <laughs> yeah, there are thousands. I can't think of a single one. Um, let's think of Lord of the Rings. Okay. There's a character who's not in the Lord of the Rings at all that the fans really want to be in there. But like in the Lord of you, the Rings movies, you mean? The movie. Okay. Um, there's a character in the book who is not in the movies. And the fans, some of the fans were disappointed about that. But the fans of the movie didn't really notice because if they put the, the character in the movie, it really wouldn't have mattered in the end. If that makes sense, because it wouldn't yeah, add to, yeah. to the story. It's called um, it's called the law of economy of characters. It's the basic premise of like there, there's only so much time in the movie to have all these characters that each have to have their own screen time. So you can't have any unnecessary characters whatsoever, like at all. So all the characters in the film had to have had to be necessary to the plot to the story at all times. Maybe that's why some characters didn't make the cut for the movie. There are some decisions where it really it was a great plus to the movie, and there I'm sure there are many where it was a great discount to the movie. I can't really think of one because like I, I didn't think about this conversation beforehand, so I didn't prepare for this. But yeah, <laughs> I, I'm sure it really depends on like who has read the book and either really likes the book or really doesn't like the book, or they have a different vision or for the way it should go. So that's my answer. It depends. It depends. So, fun fact, this movie was nominated for six awards for costume design and won one from the Chicago Film Critics Association. 
solid. Goes with our love for the costumes. So, mm-hmm. and it was also nominated for two awards for hair and makeup. And everyone looked really good in this movie. So, I think it's like a well placed nomination. And I hope they win at least a couple of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also like the little moments of like comedy that happened in the movie, especially with, with like the servants because they did a great job of like trying to do their job, but also trying not to like be bad at their job. The one thing I can think of is um, when Knightley goes into the room and he, he's frustrated, he takes off his shoes and his jacket and he just lies on the floor. And then like one servant walks in and then walks back out and just closes the door. <laughs> That also, I think, I think the best one was in the last scene when Knightley and Emma are like making out on the couch. Like the two <laughs> servants who have been around all movie are like, oh, and then they like turn around, like to be like, oh, we need, we need some privacy here. Like this also might be the working class in me. I was waiting for the revolution in this movie. Okay, <laughs> you wanted to be like lamest. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for like the one character who was fed up with the with the class system, with the Regency era class system, and was like, "I'm tired of serving you, and I'm tired of your drama." You know how many times I've listened to your drama? I am your horse rider, okay? I've listened to everything. I, I don't care about you. I don't like you. I want your I, money, but I don't like you. I just want to be rich enough to go to the fancy hat shop like you do. <laughs> the amount of scenes in that fancy hat shop. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's like the place to be. That that's like, you know, the coffee shop of the Regency era. You see everybody <laughs> at the freaking hat shop. Also the fact that like they live such boring lives, if you think about it, they really had to like go the extra mile to entertain themselves every day because they don't have jobs apparently. And No, that's like all rich people. You don't gotta work. You just gotta look pretty and match make your friends. Duh. <laughs> Yeah, it's so like the fact that they all go to the same shop, it just reminds me of like what I do. I go to the same stores whenever I'm bored because I don't really have anything else to do these days, honestly. Yeah. The one store I keep going to is Books a Million, even though I don't buy anything most of the time. I'm like, what book could I afford? And most of the time it's not much. The children's book section. <laughs> <laughs> Usually those are more expensive. Oh, really? Hmm. I don't know. I don't go there. Oh. <laughs> the first section I always go to is the clearance section. Well. $5.97. But what else could I get for $5.97? I could um get five... Um, McChickens, right? <laughs> well, hey, Jason, next time you go to Book a Million, you have two titles to be looking for. Hillbilly Elegy and Emma. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you, I'm probably going to get Emma. <laughs> uh, of those two, I honestly, the thing is, I feel like uh, the other great thing about these particular book to movie adaptions is like, honestly, the like uh, source text can be so dry. Like, you know, Jane Austen reading it, can be kind of whimsical in like some ways but it still was written in like i think your intro said like 1815 like yeah that is definitely like you know not necessarily just like light casual reading you know so i i think that's like a cool thing about these like adaptions that i think it makes it so accessible and like you know you're having fun with it in ways that you might not have fun like just straight up reading Emma by Jane Austen. And then you can make an adaptation because it's public domain. You can add zombies to it. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, that's that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, it's like Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I have, I have no idea about that. I know it was a book before because it was based off... It's like, right yeah. up there with a throwback to talking about Abe Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, you know? Wait, like, I have you heard about it. that one? I think I have it. Hold on, let me look for it. 
Wait, hold up. I think I see it. Oh, bro. I cannot believe you own Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Is this how you learned the true biography of Abraham Lincoln that you were telling us earlier? So I bought this for my sister. It wasn't for me. It's right here. Oh, amazing. I see, I see. Amazingly, it's also one of the clearance books that I bought at Books a Million. <laughs> <laughs> wow, how convenient. So that's the end of our discussion here. Thank you so much, Rachel, for being here. I really appreciate you for being back here and bearing with me for another hour and a half. Bro, this one I think went like two hours. We really had a lot to say. This is going to be another one that's really fun, you know, on the editing desk. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do that. <laughs> <laughs> this two hours will probably be edited down to an hour and a half but i don't know the full final time code so uh before we leave i want to ask you did you find the movies a hit or a miss with you um emma was 100 percent a hit i think that uh hillbilly elegy was a hit but like not as hard of a hit like i think i would very much recommend emma to like my friends but i think if someone was like oh should i watch hillbilly elegy i'd be like yeah sure i wouldn't be like this is like one that you have to see but it's like still good it's kind of like what you said so i definitely agree with you there i 100 percent think emma was a huge hit and i was surprised by it because it's, it's not my type of movie at all i i've never considered like pride and prejudice or those type of period dramas at all i never really considered them and i'm glad i like i watched this movie because i, I really enjoyed myself while i was watching it as far as hillbilly elegy i do think it's a great movie definitely oscar bait <laughs> I, I will say that. <laughs> Not AARP bait. No, I, I never thought it would be AARP bait, okay? I never thought that would ever actually exist. <laughs> hit or miss, I'd say it was a hit, but just like you, not as hard. Not as a hard hit as um, Emma. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So where can our listeners find you on social media, Rachel? So I'm not going to know any of my personal details, but if you want to see what food I eat on a daily basis... <laughs> Um, you can find me on Instagram at Rachel is a foodie. So, and you can see what I'm like making the recipes I'm using, all that yummy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> You've gotten better at taking pictures of the food. I will give you that. You've gotten better. I know. I've had a whole year to improve <laughs> both my cooking and my food photography. Like, watch out. I think next step from food photography would be filmmaking like i'm coming for you gratitude <laughs> <laughs> so that's the episode folks thank you so much for listening and until next time cross off a new film from your list thank you for listening to the hit list podcast if you like this episode please consider giving us five stars and leaving a review it really does help you can also follow us on facebook at the hit list podcast and instagram at the underscore hit list underscore podcast 